and all of that. It's about what the Bible and the scriptures are teaching us. And the Bible says in verse number one of Revelation, last Sunday we talked about it, it says that we, we were at the throne room in chapter four, and then all of a sudden we go into chapter number five, and it says that something's different there. It says the only thing that we saw in chapter four, if you remember, was God the Father. We saw that we couldn't tell uh, his image out except for a stone, you know, the color of two stones, because the Bible says God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is not flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God that came to dwell among men, right, and among women. But we saw in this throne room these four living creatures, you know, that we classified to understand as the cherubim, uh, and the seraphim, fiery angels, and the cherubim of God, watching over the things of God. They had these different faces, characteristics about them, but all they were doing was what? Reflecting the throne of God. They were reflecting God and God's characteristics. But in that chapter 4, we never saw Jesus. We didn't see him there until chapter number 5, and we left off of that last Sunday. And you remember it says that the thing that he picked up, he said we saw a sealed scroll was the first thing we talked about. It says it was in the right hand of the... One that was sitting up on the throne, there was a scroll sealed with seven seals. You know, on the inside it was written, and on the outside it was written, on the backside. In other words, the full plan of God was wrote down, and it was sealed perfectly with seven seals, ready to be what? Ready to be read. That's why we see it in the hand of the one, the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, because it was time now that God was going to have a writing to people. Remember we talked about that word. Some of your translations say book. Some of your translations say scroll. It doesn't matter. The Greek word is biblion, and it means that it is a writing. It's not about if it was rolled up, if it was folded up. That's not the whole point. The point is that biblion means that God had a writing in his hand. And if you look up that word, you'll find out. You know the scripture where Jesus said that God hates divorce? Not the divorced, but he says God hates divorce. And he says that Moses gave you a decree of divorcement, a writing of divorcement. That's the same Greek word. It's biblion. It means that there is a writing, a, a, uh, a so-called contract in a way that would speak against that, and it was a separation. God now is shown in chapter number 5 with a writing in his hand. And this writing does not deal with his church, and it does not deal with his believers. This writing is going to deal with all unbelievers. It's going to deal with the nations that are unbelievers, and it's also going to deal with the Jewish people who have betrayed him or actually who have never come to follow him. And God has something in his hand, and he's got something to say. And it's sealed up perfectly, and so it's not just some kind of a, what we call a shooting from the hip kind of plan. It's sealed with seven seals, which means that it is perfectly designed and perfectly written. Then we talked about the next thing was that there was this strong situation. Remember the Bible says that in all of the midst of the praise that was going on in heaven, all of those four living creatures, the 24 elders, representation of all believers of all time, they're all in the throne room and they are saying over and over and over, it says, worthy is he because he created. Worthy is he that sits on the throne because he created. Because of what he did, because of his power, because of his majesty. But it really all dealt with Everything that God the Father created, everything about it. Right. And so all of a sudden, in the middle of that throne room, there was a strong angel with a loud voice that declared out like Andrew was singing this morning in the song, Who is worthy to open the scrolls and to loose the seals thereof? Right. You remember that the strong situation, it also said not only did he have a strong voice, but it says that he had a strong situation, that they looked in heaven, they looked on earth, 
and they looked under the earth, and it says no one was found worthy to open up that seal, open up that book or that scroll. Nobody was. It means that there was no angel in heaven. It means that there was no devil in hell. It means that there was no Abraham in heaven, nor was there any person here on this earth that could open up the scroll, no matter who, how good they were. There was no Mother Teresa. There was no Paul. There was no Timothy. There was no Silas. There was no Tabitha. There was no Lydia. No one was found worthy to open that scroll. And so now we have a situation. And in that situation, what did it cause John to do? The Bible says in verse number four, I think it is, it says that John said, and I began to weep. We began to weep a whole lot and cry a whole lot because nobody was found worthy to open this book up. And John is there, as we talked about last Sunday, ready to write down the story. And now the story is about to end because nobody's worthy to open the book. And we're at a pause. We're at a stop in the middle of what John is wanting to write. But then talked about that it was settled. The Bible says that an elder come, a believer, and began to share something with John uh, uh, or a representative representative of a believer, and it says, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. You know, I tried to teach last Sunday that we as believers, are we believers? Say it with me, say we believers. (laughs) Thank you, Brian. I like that. We are the believers, right? I I feel like we ought to do that thing that we do at the school. I I believe, you know, I believe that we will win. But anyway, (laughs) can we got somebody that can help us out with that. <laughs> but I don't, know, I don't know if it really goes together. But I tried to share with you last Sunday, as a believer, the only comfort, the only peace, and the only hope and consolation that we can find is in what Brother Bill was sharing in Sunday school this morning, the Word of God. Yeah. It's the Word of God. Amen. Don't you find it amazing that in heaven there is John, as a believer, he's called away. It's what we believe what the rapture will do, take all of us home to be with the Lord before tribulation happens. Because he's going to deliver us from the hour of wrath. That last 70th week of the book of Daniel. You know, He's going to deliver us out of there. Don't you think that it's so awesome that all of a sudden there's a problem. There's a predicament. And there's a situation in heaven. And it causes John to weep. And he's still in that place where he's not understanding everything. But a representative of all believers of all times. One of the 24 elders. 12 Old Testament tribes. You know, patriarchs. 12 New Testament apostles. One of them goes over there and comforts him with what? The word of God. Yes, sir. Come on. You want to find comfort in your storms? You got to go to Psalms 34, 19. <laughs> Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Miss Martha, what does it say? But the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. You've got to go to the book of Psalms where it says that where is our help coming from? I know that my help cometh from the Lord. You got to go to where it says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You got to go to where it says, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. In the book of 1 Peter, you understand that whenever we cast our cares upon him, what we're actually doing is we're reaching in and we are throwing ourselves upon the Lord and we're saying, God, I need you. That word cares in our English translation today is casting all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. There's two words, cares, in there. The first one is anxiety because he loves and cares for you. It doesn't teach you to cast your love upon him because he loves you. No, we got another scripture for that. It says we first we love him because he first loved us. Right. What it says is you cast all of your situations, your anxiety, your troubles, your, your burdens, your problems on him because he cares for you. Because he loves you, he's going to help you. 
Then we've got scriptures that teach us when you fall into sin and when you've committed sin and done wrong against the Lord, there is repentance, even for the believer. And I think many believers don't understand today there's repentance for you. Just because you have sinned doesn't mean you don't have repentance. As a matter of fact, you have a continual access to God to where you need to continually say, Lord, please forgive me. Please, I'm sorry. It is not, okay, I did that way back then. I got the t-shirt and got saved and got forgiven and I never have to talk to him again. No. It's a relationship. It's a marriage. I watched a marriage yesterday where they looked at one another and exchanged vows. They exchanged rings to do what? To show to everyone else that they're saved. The same exact way. Listen, the vows is what made them married. Right? The vows. You committed your vows before God and before all these people. The ring is a symbol of what you have just committed. Same thing as this right here. Baptistry doesn't save you, but the baptistry is like a wedding ring. You're showing everybody that you are saved and that you are a believer. It's the vow that you made to God. God, your son Jesus is Lord, and I trust Him as my Savior. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me whiter than snow. Amen? And then what? You slip that wedding ring on. You slip in the baptistry and show everybody, hey, I'm a believer. That's why I have a, I have a hard time. You know what? With a lot of people that say, well, yeah, I'm married, but yet you have no any kind of symbol at all about that you are married. Now listen to me, guys. I know you're going you're gonna to fight me on this, and that's fine, because I know rings and stuff at workplaces. I've had one been smashed on my finger before. Had a friend of mine playing basketball out here with the kids and tried to do a dunk, and he's too old to do that stuff. And he got, he got his ring hung on the thing and almost took his finger off. Right? That's why you buy these things now, man. They're like silicone. You can get three of them for like ten bucks. Right? You know, you break out when that's all right. Your finger ain't broke. If, you, if, it, if it falls apart, you know what I mean? I got, I got two more. And so it's no problem. But people, that, that symbol right there is that I belong to another. That I have made a vow to someone else. Listen, the Bible says that in this... In this scripture right here, that there was a situation and it was answered by the word of God. Right. Every, every time I try to talk to people about issues in their life, they, people come, and I'm learning as I get older um, that people really don't want your advice, they just want your time sometimes. Uh, because, because if they wanted your advice, you would think that they would follow maybe some kind of good advice that you gave, especially if it's scripture. You know, but, but then when they come and spend all that time and then they don't do it, it's like, oh, you just you just wanted my time. You know what I mean? So I'm going to get me one of those jars like Lucy's got and put five cents in the doctor's hand, you know, and you can talk to me all you want for, for a nickel, right? And I know, I'm just kidding. It's going to be more than that. So uh, <laughs> people were like, hey, you know, I got some change. But in, I always share scripture with people. And people look at me sometimes and, like, all you know is about all you That's all I do know. And people sometimes don't want to hear just what the Scripture says because Scripture, it, it's a two-edged sword, and it cuts. It pierces and it divides, you know. And, and sometimes it's tough to swallow. You know, sometimes it's hard to take in. But you know what the Bible says about the Word of God to a believer, to a person that follows it? You know, John was in turmoil, and he was weeping much, the Bible said, Brother David. And he had a situation, a strong situation that was going on, and he needed something to help him. You know what David said about it? You know what the book of Psalms says about it in Psalms 119? It says that the words of God are sweeter than honey to my taste and to my lips. You know, it, it's, the, it's the word of God that when you take it in as a believer, it's beautiful, it's sweet, and it just satisfies you and you go, ah. Oh. And when that elder put his arm around John, he reminded him of an earthly scripture. And he says, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. He encouraged him by saying, you remember all those scriptures about the lion of the tribe of Judah? Do you remember the scriptures about the root of David that he would rise up and that he would be raised up as a branch, a righteous branch, and that he would overcome? You remember Genesis 3.15 where it said that he would crush his heads of the enemy, but it would, it would uh, bruise his heel. Do you remember? He said, listen, all that scripture, when one word, all that scripture, he hath prevailed. No longer are we waiting for him to prevail. He says, no, he has prevailed. And the Bible teaches us that John is turning around in heaven and he's looking. And he's looking for a lamb, uh, excuse me, for, for a lion. Because he says the lion. And all of a sudden, we, this is where we ended last Sunday, the appearance of the Savior. All of a sudden, in the middle of that scripture, if you look at verse number six, the Bible says, Now behold, lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and the 24 elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God going forth into all the earth are sent forth. Think about that for a moment. Now, I know that you got this weird, crazy, Pink Floyd psychedelic image right now in your mind, those of you that are from the 80s and stuff. You're looking at this going, wait a minute, man, this is kind of weird. There's a lamb that looks like it had been killed. In other words, when it says it looks like it had been slain, it means its throat had been cut. It's the literal word for Greek that means that having a throat cut. And what it was was Jesus was there and he had the marks, the nails in the hands and feet, the, the side that was torn open and stuff. And John says, I looked and I saw it. He says, I, I didn't see a lion. He said, but when I turned to look for the lion, I saw a lamb. You know what Isaac said as he went with his daddy up on top of Mount Moriah? He said, behold the wood. And behold the fire. He said, but dad, where's the lamb? But at Abraham telling, he said, son, God will provide himself a lamb. And then we skipped years and years and years and years. And all of those years went by. And you know what those people did? They spent every day and every year looking for a lamb. The Jewish nation spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years doing what? Looking for the perfect spotless lamb. Brother John, they went out 10 days before Passover. They searched the fields to see which one was good, which one was the best, which one had no spot, which one had no blemishes. Which one was the perfect one for God? On the fourth day before Passover, they brought it to their household. Brother Brian, you know, uh, we did a, a Easter a drama revival a few years ago. They tied it to the front doorpost of their home. They watched that lamb. They would bring that lamb inside. The kids would get so aware of that lamb that they would feed that lamb, take care of that lamb. You know why? Because that was their spotless lamb. And they wanted to make sure that everything was okay with it. But they investigated it all the time. And then on that 14th day at evening, the Bible says that they took the lamb and they sliced his throat. They took the blood in Exodus chapter number 12, took a hyssop, and they went and they painted it on the doorposts and then on the lintel above. And it says that if the death angel would pass by, that he would pass over them. It's what's called Passover, that they would have that. But every year when they got into the land of promise, into Israel, into Canaan land, Every year, Brother Craig, they had to go back. Dad had to go and get another one. Dad had to go get another one. Hebrews sums it up like this. It says, it could never make the comers or thereby the ones that came by perfect. So they had to do it annually, every year, every year. And it says, do you know that you were not redeemed with the blood of goats and of bulls or corruptible things, but with the precious blood of the lamb without spot and without blemish, amen, being Jesus Christ. So then all of a sudden, one day Jesus walks around the corner of the river of Jordan. 
And a man who they thought was crazy and a nut, dressed in camel's hair, skin, animal uh, clothing, eating locusts, wild locusts and honey, was telling the people to repent for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. He was telling them to turn away from your sins and get your hearts and your lives ready. The Bible says all of a sudden one day, Abraham and Isaac said, here is the wood and here is the fire, but where is the lamb? But John the Baptist said in John 1.29, behold the lamb, which taketh away the sins of the world, amen. But now we're in heaven. Now we're in heaven. They looked for a lamb. They found a lamb. Put him on a cross, crucified him. Put him in the grave and sealed him up. He came out of the grave and now here it is in chapter number 5. We find Jesus again, but this time they're not looking for him. They're not declaring him. No, what they're doing is worshiping him. They're saying he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy. And you say, well, brother, see, what makes it all special? This wraps it up in this verse. Seven horns, seven eyes that are the seven spirits of God. What that means, church, is just as the Antichrist is the epitome of all evil, and his declaration of number all deals with mankind and humanity. Six, six, six. All of it deals. It means that he's wrapped up in perfect evilness. Jesus is absolutely perfect with seven eyes, seven horns, which are the seven spirits of God. And what it means is this. It isn't, what it means is when John saw that, he understood that Jesus saw everything. With seven eyes, he had perfect sight to see all. He's reminded back to Revelation chapter 1 where he says his eyes are like a flame of fire. He sees Jesus in a perfect way that he has all omniscience. He has all understanding. But then he sees seven horns. And what he's talking about, church, he says that he has a perfect kingdom. And people have been praying for this kingdom. He has perfect power and authority. And people have been praying for that. You and I have prayed for it. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Right? We've prayed that. Your kingdom come. Lord, when your kingdom comes to reign. Lord, and John now sees him with those seven horns, and he understands he has perfect authority. He has perfect rule that are the seven spirits of God. And then we get into these last three things. This is where I want to preach this morning. Thank you for being on the porch with us. And now we're going to go inside. Amen. Listen, thank you for giving us the time. Here's the, four, uh, the four, uh, fifth thing. The satisfaction of prayers. The satisfaction of prayers or of our prayers. Look at Revelation chapter 5 verse 7. He came and took the book out of him, uh, out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them hearts and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. The Bible says, and now we see this image. Here is Jesus being presented, not the lion, but he's a lamb. Then all of a sudden, as he's presented as the lamb who is worthy and he's perfect and he has perfect power, he has perfect sight, he has perfect uh, spirit, everything about him is wonderful and perfect. He was a lamb that was killed but standing again, which teaches about Calvary and the resurrection. All of a sudden now, we see him walk over to the right hand of the throne and he takes out of the right hand that scroll, man, because he's the only one worthy. And you see that something happened after he took that scroll in his hand. Look at verse number 8 with me again. Something happened. What happened? The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down. They fell down. They didn't, they didn't fall down like you tripped right here and you fell down. No, they fell down. What it means is they bowed down. 
that they begin to worship. Now, I want you to understand something. Let's look at this scripture. The Bible says they fell down, every one of them having hearts, look, in golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. It's talking about incense. And I want you to understand that in the Old Testament, that high priest, if he would go out, even David said this scripture, look at it, Psalms 141, verse 2. He says, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and let the lifting up of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. What it was talking about, David understood it when he was talking about it in Psalms, and he wrote about it in a song style of way. He understood what that Old Testament priest would do. If, if we were in the tabernacle or the temple this morning, this is what would happen. Outside, before you came in, you would have to pass by. Of course, first of all, number one, you wouldn't be able to come in. We wouldn't be able to come in. Most everyone in here is Gentile. You wouldn't right. have no access right. at all during those right. days. Second of all, if you were not a Levite, you wouldn't have access to come inside the outer perimeter that had white curtains all the way around, which meant as a representation of God's holiness and that they weren't allowed to come in there. And you're going to see that white curtain represented in the book of Revelation later as a great white throne of judgment, right, Brother John? You're going to see that you just don't get to come up, but yet you're going to be called up before the judge of God. But if we were able to go inside that tabernacle, the first thing you would go to would be this fiery, brazen, brass-looking altar. You would know that it's tied to the earth, that its roots are rooted into that earth. Even in the temple days when they got a little bit more advanced, they didn't have a ramp that was built up out of grid work or iron work or brass or anything. No, when they put the altar where it was, they had to have an earthen ramp to get there. God always wanted everyone to understand when the sacrifice was put on the altar that it was because you were tied to this earth. And the reason you were being judged is because you are a what? A sinner under condemnation of the law of sin and death. And so those priests would walk up there. In the temple days, man, it was awesome. Slave, they would have to hold those sacrifices out because it could not allow the blood to be dripped upon their linen clothes. And uh, a lot of people argue today about, you know, should men, women, what they should wear to church. They argue about should women wear, you know, pants and all that stuff. The Bible called these, said linen breeches. So you can figure it out for yourself. Amen. Ain't nothing wrong with breeches. You all right? And if you don't know what that is, you, your mama didn't raise you right because I wore breeches my whole life, right? I wore some switches too. But they would hold that thing up and they would knock that earthen thing and that blood of that animal would be dripping off and they would take that thing over there, Dad, and they would hang it on the horn of that altar. They would take that other one that was not the morning sacrifice, but it was the noon sacrifice, and they would hang it upon that altar. They would take that evening sacrifice and hang it on the horn that was on that altar. And that thing was represented there as waiting judgment. It was waiting for judgment. And the blood would drip. The animal would be drained at the tables. And they would take the basins of those, uh, excuse me, they had, they had bowls that were basins. They were rounded bottoms, not flat, because the blood was precious. And they would go and sprinkle it on the bottom feet of that altar. All of a sudden, Sister Julie that animal that was placed up on top of that altar, the blood would drip down, and on that fire, you can hear it. Listen, it's sizzling, and it is cooking. That, that carcass and that blood is dripping down on those hot coals. Every single day in the wilderness and at Solomon's temple and at Herod's temple, every single day, the priest would go out there, and he would take a vial, a bowl, a censer, and he would take tongs and he would reach down on that fiery brazen altar from the sacrifice and he would take hot coal 
He would put it in that bowl. And when he put it down in that bowl, he would walk and have it. And you've probably seen some of them on chains or other things. The one at the Temple Institute in Jerusalem has the chains on them and the bowls. And they would walk. They would carry that hot coal in that center. And you can imagine that smell, Charles, that smell of that smoke. And also think about it, the smell of that animal's blood that was burnt all over that blood-soaked coal. That priest would go in and he would walk into this earthly tabernacle and he would look around. And when he looked around, he looked on the ground and there was dirt, a dirt floor again. The dirt floor represented that he was tied. You dust you came from and dust you will return. Amen. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the spirit will go to the Lord who gave it. Amen. He's tied to it. But he'd look in there and man, those wicks on that menorah, there'd be a seven branch lampstand, which is what? Seven fiery things that are burning there, which is... In the book of Revelation chapter 4, also verse number 5, that it's the seven spirits of God. And that, man, that light would be reflecting. They had these wooden boards that were made out of acacia wood. And they overlaid them with gold. They wrapped them with gold. And they put silver sockets that were 93 pounds. They, each one of them weighed 93 pounds. And they put like these, I think, I can't remember exactly if it was 64 of the silver sockets. They laid them down. And then they put these golden boards in there. And when you walked into this tabernacle, all of a sudden the light was shining on all that gold. And it was like light this way and light that way. And you looked at the table of showbread. And there was bread laying there and saying that God was going to take care of them in the wilderness. And then Jesus stands up in John chapter number 9. He says, I'm the bread of life. Amen. And then you look and right there there's this little altar that's about this wide, about a foot and a half wide and about a foot and a half wide this way, square. And it actually looks just like the one that's outside. Except the one outside was four and a half feet this way and four and a half feet this way. And when you walk in, you see this and you go, man, that looks familiar. But the one outside is brazen. It's made from brass or a mixture of brass and copper. But the one on the inside was beaten and overlaid with gold. When he went in there, he would take that blood and he would take his finger jack and on the horns of the altar of the golden altar, he would sprinkle the blood on each of the horns. Remember that, Brother John? He would touch and sprinkle it around that, which was what? Representing what happened outside at the sacrifice. Comes all the way in. Let me tell you something. What happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago that you were not a part of has got to come all the way into this church service today or we're not here for the right reason, amen? Listen, and all of a sudden, he took that hot censer he took that hot coal that he got off that was soaked with the blood of the sacrifice of the animal and he put it up on top of that altar inside and he reached over and grabbed a whole bunch of senses. The incense, it was stacked, it gall bottom, onica, and he started sprinkling it on there. And all of a sudden, the stench of the, the sacrifice and the bloody uh, burnt smell began to be overtaken. Right? Not with Febreze. Mm -mm. No. All that smell began to fill the room. And the priest would stay in that room. He would walk around. You know what he would do? He would say, Lord, Father, God above, Adonai, Elohim. He would say, Keith needs you today. Keith's got an issue. He's got a situation. He needs you today, Lord. He needs you to act. He would go into that room and he would say, Father, this sweet smell comes up to you. My friend, Brandon West, he needs you today. Yeah. And his mom needs a healing touch. 
Lord, Linda needs you. And he would stay in there and he would pray. He would pray. And all of a sudden the incense would begin to fill up that room. And if any of the Levitical priests would come in and walk in and do the service of the Lord, they would understand that high priest has been there speaking and praying to God. They could smell it. Because they're outside doing what? All they smell is the burning flesh, the, the judgment over and over and over of the animal taking our judgment. The blood and life that's in that sacrifice taking our place. But when they go into the holy place, they smell the prayer time. They smell it all. And the Bible says that whenever Jesus grabbed a hold of that scroll pop and he held it in his hand from his father's right hand, it says that immediately the four living creatures, the representation of those strong angels that I believe are above in rank of all the other angels that are in heaven, says that they fell down. The Bible says that also the people that fell down were 24 elders and they had each of them harps and golden vials full of odors, full of incense. The Bible says that those are the prayers of the saints. They began to do something. Listen to me. I don't know how many times you've prayed before. I don't know how much serious time you've been in prayer with the Lord before. Where, listen, and I want you to know he's there. Even when, even when you've not talked to him and a need has come up, he's still there. He is not like me. He is not like people in here. If you need him, it says you can call on him and he will be found. You call on him in a pure heart, he will. Even if you say, Bro, Steve, I haven't talked to him in a long time. You call on him, he will hear your prayer. I don't know when the last time was that you really sincerely were before the Lord and you were praying. Maybe it was something a need. Maybe it was something going on. Some kind of trial. Something happening. So I don't know about y'all. But to be honest, to be transparent with you this morning, I get so tired of hearing about cancer sicknesses and ailments. It, it, it's so, every, everywhere I go, people tell me about it. It's tough. We live in a body that's corrupted. We live in a body that is not getting better. No matter how much you put into it, it is not getting better, okay? Things that we put on the outside are just covering up the decay that's actually there. None of us are getting better. We want to think that, but we're not. We're in a body that's corrupt and it's dying. But if you're a believer, the Bible says, except the corn of wheat first fall into the ground and die, it can't bring forth any fruit. Except we take off this earthly body, we can't put on that immortal body. Except we take off this corruptible, we cannot inherit incorruption. Amen? And that's our hope. We know that. And we've only got about this much time. Do you remember the illustration about the rope all the way around this room? And we put about three inches of tape on it? That's all you have here. And you spend most of your time mad, frustrated, hurt, broken, bitter, angry, about three inches of that life span versus what you can have in Christ through all of eternity. Amen. And we get on our knees and we say, God, I need you. How many of you even this week say, God, forgive me. Oh, Lord, forgive me of my thoughts, my actions. Forgive me. I want you to know that all those prayers are not senseless. 
No, they're in sin. Those prayers are not just senseless and that they're just going to the roof or going to the ears here. No, they're incense that are going up to the Father. You know how many years, you know, Polycarp prayed. Polycarp was a first century martyr for the Lord. Polycarp prayed that people would be saved. And they told him, Brother Brian, you take back what you said. Remember, he was the pastor at the church at Smyrna. They said, you take back, you recant all that. He said, I can't do that. He said, he's done me nothing but good. He said, I can't betray him. He said, I am 80-something years old. I was young, and I'm like, he's done me nothing but good. Why would I want to do And Polycarp prayed. John Wycliffe, he prayed. He prayed while they lit the fires underneath him and burned his body alive that the king of England's eyes would be opened by the Lord. Listen, people pray. You've prayed some prayers, and you think, Lord, are you hearing them? Look at what happens. The Bible says in that one scripture, it says that they bow down and they have golden bowls full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. I said, I'm going to close. I'm not going to do that other one. I just can't leave the throne room just yet. And it, it's okay. And, and that wasn't for you. That's for me. I'm telling my own self. It's okay, Steve. I just want you to know today that you're seeking God in prayer. You're talking to the Lord. You say, Brother Steve, can you guarantee me that if I was to pray and ask the Lord to be the Lord of my life and that I trust him as Savior and that I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, I believe it with my heart, I confess it with my mouth in prayer, are you guaranteeing me that the Lord would save me? Let me tell you something. No matter what you've done and no matter where you are in life, I agree and I believe as these people are already beating it to the punch, absolutely he'll save you. He'll save you. He will help you. He will change you. He will strengthen you. Listen, those of you that say, Brother Steve, I know I'm saved, but I really got something going on. I just need a touch from the Lord. I just need to know that the Lord is hearing me. You know, sometimes when I pray, it doesn't seem like I get an answer. It doesn't seem like I'm hearing anything back right now. You're allowing yourself to be convinced by yourself and Satan that what? Maybe you're just not right with God. Maybe he just don't care about you. No, 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 no. Don't allow yourself to do that. Understand that your prayer is important to God and you're not the next one on the line waiting. Amen? No, he hears you. And that it's going up to him as a sweet incense. A sweet, sweet, wonderful smell. And that God will answer. See, I, I, I'm going to try to tell you one thing, but I'm not going to go there. Andrea, I'm going to go ahead and come on. But when he takes the scroll out of his hands, out of his excuse me, right hand and puts it and it's in the hand of Jesus. In chapter 6, he's going to start popping those seals open up. And you're going to start seeing something that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 in Revelation chapter 6. You're going to see these things happening. I just want you to understand that for years and years, thousands of years, believers have prayed to God and said, God, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from these things. God, right all the things that are wrong. God, when are you going to do this? How many of you ever wondered, here Christians, be honest, and you don't have to say it out loud, but be honest within your own heart. How many of you have ever wondered before when God was ever going to handle, judge, and to right the wrongs of people that will take their children and throw them in garbage dumpsters and other things like that? God's going to right all the wrongs someday. 
And all of those prayers, you know, I, I don't know, but if you go, there's a national abortion clock website. I never can go there without being broken because it's, it's like almost a little bit over a second, in between one second and two seconds, that they're being aborted. You know that there's 7,000 people in the U.S. every day or every year that are, uh, no, 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 it's more than that, that are dying. I think it might have been 17, I can't remember, but dying every day. You know what happened yesterday in Southern California? 2,613 got saved at a revival meeting. Amen. Preach the gospel. But if we were to compare the numbers, there are more people dying than we are of hearing the numbers being saved. Sometimes you're tempted as a Christian to go, God, are you hearing me? Are you listening to me? You know what he says? Your prayers are like golden vials that are coming up. Sweet smell. Before we leave, I don't want you to be confused about anything. I really want you to pay attention. Most people turn me off at the end. You can go ahead and start playing. Most people turn me off at the end. I don't want you to leave here confused about something. It says that these 24 elders had these things. These golden vials. Hearts that they're about to throw down. They're about to start singing. And it's a stringed instrument. And they're going to praise God. But they're dealing with prayers first. I want you to know something. Don't be confused about it. There are not people in heaven that you pray to and then they give it to the Lord. No, sir. You pray... God the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ is that you write all of those things down that you need from God. Brother Butch, you, write, you say, God, I, I need help. I need this. Uh, Lord, please, Lord, thank you for blessing me here. And then, whenever you tell it to the Father, you, you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I ask these things. So, what does that matter? Well, I mean, you can, you can write a letter to somebody. You don't lick the stamp and put it on there. You can hold on to it forever. It ain't going to go anywhere. Why? Because the postal service ain't going to do it. They're not going to send it off. They're not going to go, oh, excuse me, you didn't pay that, whatever money it is now. So we're just going to do it for you. I mean, it's not monopoly. You don't get $200 pass and go in real life. No, but when you say in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask these things, you're placing a stamp on there. And you say, what is that, Brother Steve? Do you remember? In the Old Testament, they went out to that brazen altar for the Mitch and got that fiery coal that was soaked with the blood of the sacrifice. It says, literally, Brother Edward, that it said it had to be a blood-soaked coal. It couldn't be one just sitting over here that was an ember. It had to have that, that sacrifice blood on it. When you pray, you don't have access to God the Father. You don't. Listen to me. Don't turn me off. You don't have access except for one way. And that is through the precious blood of the Lamb without spot, without blemish. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, let us boldly come to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. You know why he says that? Because when we come to the throne and we ask God to help us, to forgive us, to heal us, to do these things... We only come not on behalf of our blood or the behalf of Keith's blood or the behalf of St. James and St. John and all of them and they're going to offer our prayers as an incense. 
No, this is a representation in heaven that all believers' prayers must be done in this same order is that there must be that censer that goes up to the Lord as an incense, but inside the censer is the key to having our prayers answered, and it is the fact that someone gave their life for us and that that hot coal of judgment that should have been our judgment was soaked over by the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb without spot, without blemish. And when our prayers are sprinkled on the top of that, it only goes up as an incense because Jesus took the fiery judgment of the cross at Calvary for you. And without his blood, we don't have anything. Brother Steve, you think God hears me? If you call him, yes. Or see, you think God can answer my prayers in the name of Jesus Christ through the precious and powerful blood of Jesus Christ? He will hear and he will answer. Now, he may say no. That's the problem that Christians have, is he may say no. The last problem that we Christians have, we believers have, is that he may answer in a way that we really didn't think about. Pray for people to be healed. I've held people's hands that were cold and dead. They had meningitis ripping through their body. Their brain was so messed up by the meningitis that it was shutting their organs, their lung functions down, and they would die. And I reached, Charlie, I'm telling you, man, I grabbed their hand, and it was lifeless. And I prayed the blood of Jesus because there's no power and no fat sweaty bald men no so Lord will you please touch this person and that person is alive today walking around and living but all according to the will of God I also pray Charlie for people and I say God please heal them please do this Lord please 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 I prayed one night all the way to the hospital no way God no way please God no way please heal them please heal them and get there to find out that he did, but it wasn't the way that I thought. See, I always want the three inches to be healed. But God did a bigger healing all the way around eternity. Let me tell you, he'll hear you on the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ. Our prayers go to the Lord. So let me say this, moms and dads that are praying for a alcoholic son or daughter drug addict son or daughter don't ever let Satan or yourself convince you that God's not hearing you and my mom and dad prayed for me in church services go down to the altar Lord my son needs saved he needs, he needs you my dad was real blunt with the Lord my, my son's a lunatic and he needs saving it's truthful I was it's no different than the demonic man, the demon-possessed man. I, need, I needed saving. I needed healing. God answered prayers. God answered prayers not because it was Donald and Barbara, or Billy Bob and Sue Lynn. God answers prayers because why? We bring our petitions to him in the name of Jesus Christ through his precious blood that was shed. He hears our prayers. Don't give up. Don't give up praying. Amen. You know, it says in this song, they're going to sing that someday this robe of flesh will drop and rise. We'll seize the everlasting prize. Someday we'll shout while passing through the air. Goodbye, farewell, see you later, sweet hour of prayer.
emphasis was added. We won't have to pray for our loved ones anymore. We won't have to pray in a hospital room anymore. We won't have to pray for a drug addict anymore or an alcoholic anymore. We won't have to pray for wayward sons and daughters or mothers or fathers. Amen? No, sweet hour of prayer will be done away. So that's why we need to pray now. Father, we love you. We can't tell you enough how much you mean to us. God, I'm so thankful that you have refreshed my heart. Lord, encouraged my spirit. Knowing that you're always there. and That my prayers are taken and they're like a, a wonderful smell coming up to you. Lord, I apologize and I ask you to forgive me if my prayers have ever been in my own selfish ambition. And Lord, if they've never been tied to the fact that you took my judgment, that your son, your son took my judgment and that his blood was shed so that I'd even have access, that he's the mediator between man and God, that I'd have access just to talk to you. God, I'll be patient. I'll wait for your answers. I know that some of our prayers may not be answered until Revelation chapter 6 takes place. So I'll be patient. God, when you say no, I'll try to understand. I'll try my best to understand it all. God, when you say yes, I'll try my best not to be filled up with pride. Run around bragging because I got a yes. But God, I'll just take it with all the contentment and peace that I can. Lord, please help us all here today. Help somebody as they pray and talk to you.